gonna be me. Welcome, listeners, and this is a new Unverified Accounts episode. And Liza, you're the one who suggested we open with uh, <laughs> Justin Timberlake's Immortal. I'm sure he was celebrating May Day, International Workers' Day, and he was sneaking in that subliminal message into that teen pop classic, It's Gonna Be Me, which... Um, no, 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 no. Say, say it. Say it with dignity. Come on. Oh, uh, I can't do it. It's... You, you... I think you do a much better Justin no, Timberlake impression. I mean, he just said, it's gonna be me. <laughs> 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 with the, the meme that goes with it, his hair. <laughs> and that, what did they even call it? The frosted tips? Is that is that what they... I thought it was like ramen noodle hair. Right, right. He Well, I think he kind of has naturally very curly hair, but I think he also got it like... He was dyed. very... He was way blonder back then. Cause he's not He's not that... Like in the last time I saw him was uh, like... I guess this year he was in Palmer and he was also in the Bee Gees documentary. And oh, like really? his hair is like kind of dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome, listeners. Uh, as you notice, Philip's not here. Uh, he he didn't watch Days and Confused, so we booted him off this episode. But <laughs> no, for real, uh, he he had plans. So unfortunately, he can't join us for this episode. But that just means get to spend more time with Liza, which is always every a great week thing. can be summed up with I can't. It's like me saying to somebody, I can't believe you haven't seen that movie yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I just watched A Hidden Life. Oh, that's like, so like if there was a true best picture Oscar race for like 2019, I think it would have been A Hidden Life, uh, A Sun, and Parasite. That would have been the three-way race. That is a powerful trident. That is a powerful trident. Um, But A Hidden Life... I think that A Hidden Life might have, might have, might have won. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Terrence Malick fan. I remember watching The Thin Red Line as a young kid. I love that movie. And I was like, this is the most boring shit. Uh, why yeah. is Jim Caviezel walking through the jungle talking about poetry and God when he could be blowing shit up like in Saving Private Ryan? That was what I liked. Yeah, I guess if you if you go into Thin Red Line and you're expecting like a Saving Private Ryan or like a Black Hawk Down or like Platoon, you're, you're going to be bored. Yeah, but- that's what I was expecting because I, I was a dumb little kid. I didn't really know what a Terrence Malick was, you know. The abstract thinking development part of your brain hadn't kicked in yet <laughs> yeah badlands is also terrence malick right i love that movie too I mean, i've seen that uh Days i liked it uh but it didn't totally blow me away a hidden life did blow me away though it was it's his best yeah i think it is the most beautiful movie i've ever seen and i asked you like did he use some kind of fisheye lens because there's this weird distortion you can notice sometimes but you said it's a it's like a super wide lens right it's 12 a 12 millimeter, millimeter. Wow, yeah. And I, I think that's how he gets those beautiful shots of are they in the Alps? Whatever mountains they're in, in Austria. And it's three hours long and No, but it goes by so fast. Like I can I watched that movie and then it was three hours and then it was like, I don't know, the very next morning I woke up early before the family and turned it right back on because I don't know, I just wanted to I wanted to feel it again. Yeah, and the the guy who plays Franz, the the main character, is a German actor named August Diehl, who will be most familiar to American audiences as playing the scary Gestapo officer who kills Michael Fassbender in Unglorious Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I mean, what a great actor that he can go from playing that guy to mm-hmm. this guy who's like the exact opposite. Yeah, and yeah, uh, it, yeah it's, like literally it's, the opposite because he's he's a he's like a martyred saint who objects to mm-hmm. fighting the to, to fighting on the nazis side 
It, it, it is a long movie. I'm glad I watched it on my projector. I think if I watched it on my laptop, I might have gotten too distracted in the middle because it is a very thoughtful movie. And to truly appreciate it, you have to see it on some semblance of a big screen just because, mm-hmm. oh my God, the shots are just... Uh, yeah. And, and the movie I saw right before was Mortal Kombat. <laughs> 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 it was such a big uh, change <laughs> in mood. Who was the director of Mortal Kombat? I don't even think we talked about that. Uh, does it even matter? <laughs> is it some no name that like this is his first time directing a feature? Um, I- I'll look it up. Meanwhile, it is the start of Asian Pacific. Uh, what is the A- Asian Pacific? Asian no Asian Pacific American Heritage uh, Month. Right, right. APAM. APAM, and uh, you have some experience, you know, being a speaker and and all that. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Do you think APAM is like worth it and all that? While I look up the director of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, most of my like Asian Pacific or Asian American like uh, public speaking gigs, or if I'm asked to host something, they're they're pretty positive experiences so like I have nothing but good memories but I would also say that like I am pretty choosy about what I take on like if it doesn't if I don't like the audience or I don't like the people the organizers or if I feel like I'm going to be censored in some way then I just if I'm not given a lot of like freedom like picking out my co-host you know Mm -hmm. then I just won't do it yeah. So I say no to a lot of stuff, but who knows if I was like, if this was like my job and I mm-hmm. had to like depend on this for like, you know, a steady income, then it might be different that I'd have to say yes to everything. And then I might have uh, a lot more negative experiences. But as of now, it's been nothing but positive experiences. I've been the um, been the host two years running of the Charm City Night Market Festival here in Baltimore, which is in Sounds historic like, Chinatown. So yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Like the last time we we did it, um, something like eighteen thousand people showed up, and we had Ruby Ibarra as the mm-hmm. as the headliner, and that was like that was fucking amazing. And then you and I have done Baltimore Book Festival several times together. Mm-hmm. We've done City Lit Festival. Uh, I used to do Decolonize Your Bookshelves until I got turned off by my own name. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. Decolonize. I guess like don't even want to say that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, like a, a lot of all of Malaya movement stuff, I do like incredibly positive, incredibly like beneficial to the community. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of more speaking gigs, you're going to be on the podcast Self Evident uh, sometime soon, right? We record on Thursday, May sixth, so I'm not sure what it's going to be released, but we will be talking about a topic that we here on Unverified love to talk about and complain about. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Not gonna say anything else, but listen to it. I think you'll enjoy it. I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Oh, uh, for listeners who might not know, uh, Self Evident is an Asian American podcast. I know them because their producer uh, reached out to us. Like, it was starting way back when we started Escape from Plan A. Uh, Self Evident. They, I think, they applied for a grant fund from New York City as a kind of like a public. I think they're like kind of like an NPR type of. Uh, project uh, for Asian Americans. Uh, they're cool. James is cool. Um, I've met Kathy Irway, who's a great food writer and the host of that podcast. Uh, they're all great people, so very happy to be collaborating with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Liza will be on there representing us. So very excited for your, to hear you <laughs> on that. 
we're going to talk about a, a few articles mainly dealing with uh, just like people dealing with the pandemic in, in terms of their social lives and how they're adjusting to it afterwards and all that. But um, just to get a few things quickly out of the way first, uh, Oscars, I mean, we talked about this in the Plan A live stream, which listeners, if you haven't seen, you should go check it out on our YouTube uh, page. But um, Liza, you got any Oscar thoughts that you haven't voiced yet that you you wanna you wanna get out there? Yeah, um, I think I'm probably the only person that is like, um, at least that we talk to that I was still thinking about the Oscars. I'm pretty sure everyone watched it and then like immediately forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump is still thinking about it. Is he? What do you say? Well, he released that uh, press release uh, ta- talking about how bad the Oscars are now because it's woke, <laughs> and, and he was gloating over its low ratings. Yeah. I'm gloating over the low ratings, but for a different reason. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the format. Um, I like how they, you know, for all my complaining about boring acceptance speeches on Twitter, um, I actually do appreciate how they let the winners just talk without cutting them off. Like, like if you think, I said this on the live stream, but like, if you think about it, it's like, this is their life's work. This is what they're passionate about. They're artists. And so I would much rather listen to their acceptance speech than to have to cut away to like the next Apple commercial, you know? Yeah, or, or like a bad joke from the host. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so... So th- this uh, is fine with me. If they continue with this with this format, um, you know, I like the... Um, I don't know if they're going to return to this more casual format. I'd be happy if they did. It's less pomp and circumstance. And honestly, movies aren't the cultural center that they used to be. So mm-hmm. like, why bother with all that? There's less and less people watch every single year. Yeah. Imagine instead of the Oscars, we have uh, the Twitter awards, the tweet of the year and shit like that. Um, Do you know how bad Twitter would be? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, it's you, bad enough now. Apparently, you you said that they announced the best picture before best actor and actress. That makes absolutely yeah, yeah. no so, sense. Um, okay. So, Steven Soderbergh was the producer of the Oscars this year. And they they broke from tradition by announcing best picture before best actor and best actress. Uh, the reason that they did that was they rearranged the order because everybody was so sure that Chadwick Boseman was going to win Best Actor and that they would close the night with presenting him, his widow, with the Best Actor award and having like a very big, like sentimental tribute to him at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And then... Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor. Uh, they didn't even show, like, not even a pre-recorded speech because uh, even he and his people didn't think that he was going to win. So he was at home in England sleeping <laughs> oh, <laughs> and man. didn't find out that he won Best Actor until the next morning. That's such a uh, a champion move, though. That like you're so <laughs> blasé. You, like you've won too many Oscars, you just sleep through your own win. That is he so badass. And wasn't even awake for his <laughs> home sleeping. No pre-recorded speech, nothing. Oh, wow. Like, okay. that's how sure they were that Chadwick Boseman was going to get it. And, like, you know, all week long I keep hearing this stuff, like, how did this happen? How did this happen? It's like, well, it's obvious how it happened. People voted for Anthony Hopkins. And, like, does he deserve it? Yeah, he probably does. I didn't see The Father, but, like, when has he ever done anything bad? Yeah. Even when that- he plays, like, Thor's dad. Oh, he! I didn't even know that. I okay. I get. I get why people were upset because they they felt manipulated by the academy. Well, they and, should have. I mean, they yeah. rearranged the whole show. Yeah, and, and that's that, what they get. It makes no sense. I mean, the best picture is supposed. To, it's like awarding the, the the silver medal on top. You know, the podium, like the silver, <laughs> the gold medal, is supposed to be the highest. You're supposed to play the gold medalist anthem, not 
the silver or bronze medal. <laughs> that just seems weird. Yeah, best oh. picture belongs at the end of the night. It's the award that people tune in for. So to put it third from last is so counterintuitive. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think what, the only thing it mess. proves is that the producers of the show have no idea who the winners are ahead of time. Well, I guess that's kind of a they silver lining, right? They know just as right? much as we do. Yeah, that is not as rigged as we thought it, well, it right. is. Yeah. So there's like the bright side to it. And also like, I don't know, I feel like any other year, there wouldn't be such an outrage over Anthony Hopkins winning. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, when do when does he ever, when does he ever do anything? When is he ever less than excellent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh. Moving on to our main topic, uh, I mean, jo- I joked earlier that we didn't let Philip be on this episode because he didn't watch Dazed and Confused, from which, you know, we, we got our title for th- for this episode. But <laughs> Eliza, you and I, we started talking about this because of this New York Times article. Uh, but before we get into it, why, why not uh, shower some praise on Dazed and Confused, uh, one of our favorite movies by, I, I think, probably my favorite director, uh, Richard Linklater. Linklater great, mm-hmm. great director. And... It's just one of those classics that it's kind of hard to explain why it's good just because it's got like so many little pieces that make it good. Um, But why do you love this movie? I love everything about this movie. I would say that there's like, um, it it came out at a time that I was like just discovering classic rock. So Mm -hmm. for me, that that would have been like seventh grade. And the the soundtrack to this movie, I, I owned both CDs, part one and part two of the soundtrack. And, um, like every time I hear the songs like slow ride or like, uh, Balinese or, um, like Tuesday's gone. Like I think of this movie. Uh, I also think it's the time of year that this movie takes place. There aren't that many movies that like there's either like the winter blockbusters. And then there's like, you're already in the middle, like summer movies, you know, like midsummer, but mm-hmm. this is a movie that is, it's one of those like last day of school. Yeah. Movies that I, I think that there's like, there's not that many movies that take place at time of year, like maybe Grease or like The Graduate, Carrie, mm-hmm. you know, those are the things I, <laughs> <laughs> those are movies I think of when I think about like the days that like, I don't even know what, what, what subgenre would this be for like that time of year? Is it just like, is it coming of age? Is it like, yeah, I end think of coming of year? age, I think Graduation? coming of age, it's a little different because it's so compressed. Uh, so you don't get to see it's hard to see growth in one night, although I think you do see uh, some changes in the characters. But yeah, I think coming of age is, is probably the best uh, descriptor for when this. When I lived in Austin, I used to go to their annual Moon Tower beer bust every summer too. Was it based on this movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I think that McConaughey himself might have been the one that started it. Now, uh, speaking of McConaughey, uh, another <laughs> reason... governor of Texas. A, a, another reason this is relevant is uh, he's currently leading polling of course this is very early against the current governor the the republican governor which i guess means mcconaughey would run as a democrat or maybe no he'll way. run as an republican or maybe an independent maybe i always assumed republican i guess he hasn't really said though yeah Who's he gonna run against ted cruz yeah you're right he can't <laughs> run as republican can he uh, I, I think the brand might be too toxic. And I think that he would do well if he just ran as an independent. I think that would give him like another automatic 20 points because people are going to like. Um, he's like super anti-cancel culture, which wins points with me. Yeah. And apparently he's like quite religious, Uh, I think, more, more on a, a personal level, which explains His why. His book he, is like, it's like a right, self-help has, book, right? All right. He has a bestseller right now, right? 
Isn't what is it an kind of like a, uh, it's, it sounds like a self-help book. Like it kind of reads like a series of fortune cookies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I watched this uh, segment on, on YouTube that compared um, him to Andrew Yang, even though they're quite different ideologically, but their appeal is similar in that they kind of make people feel good and let them move past the, you know, red versus blue, uh, woke versus unwoke type of divides. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who knows if, I mean, I, I don't think people really know a lot of his politics and they may be crap, but it is, it is interesting that he is, uh, you know, leading the current governor of, of Texas. He's got a big, big shot. I mean, there's like a legacy of successful politicians who are mm-hmm. former movie stars. Yeah. Like the governor and then like Reagan. Yeah. Oh, one more thing I want to introduce. Uh, Address. You said that Linklater's only bad movies, everybody wants some. I don't think it's a great movie, but I don't remember enjoying it. It is. That movie a very, sucks. Like, it, what if that's his follow up to Boyhood? He won Best Picture for Boyhood. And, like. No, no, he didn't. A, Birdman won Best Picture. Oh, God, that's right. Yeah, that was the year when I really just started paying attention to the Oscars. You remember but, that? Yeah, that, that was a travesty. But, yeah, everybody wants I was wants so sure that Boyhood was going to get it. Mm hmm. Yeah, Everybody Wants Some is, is a, a very specific, and I think Linklater himself played baseball, so it's a very autobiographical movie. But um, like, yeah, I was I, expecting I, Dazed and Confused, but baseball. Yeah, but um, yeah, it is a little forgettable, but I enjoyed it. So even his bad movies are are good. Okay, so okay, so the thing that we one of the articles we want to discuss is this New York Times article that came out titled. <laughs> There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. And you and I and Philip, we talk a lot about, you know, how we've done during the the pandemic and Mm -hmm. things that might change or not change, you know, once things start going back to normal. So I think that's a a good launching point since I'm about to be vaccinated next week. First dose? Which one are you getting? The second dose. Uh, It's the Pfizer one, which... Adam and I, uh, in the latest bonus episode for this game from Planet, talked about how apparently the, that's the vaccine for hot people. That's the the cool vaccine, which oh, is <laughs> that's the one that I got. I got the first dose of Pfizer on Friday. Oh, oh, nice. No, oh yeah, you were. Oh yeah, I saw that tweet of yours where you were asking about side effects. Have you felt anything? I didn't get any. Yeah, I barely even got the sore arm. Well, they say the the punch comes after second. I'm sure you know. So yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean that that whole idea of of status social status based on vaccines is just so disgusting and i don't understand like are there certain vaccines that are offered in like certain neighborhoods or something i don't know i I think or like certain zip codes like i don't understand how that where'd that come from did you guys just make that up no we we read a uh, there's a couple articles about it and i think it's a bunch of uh like me or like old me relatively speaking old media people scouring tiktok and seeing what those <laughs> teens are doing and i think the tiktok people are just bored they're just making shit up so what's so the, the ugly po- so what's the ugly people moderna vaccine moderna is the ugly people vaccine and like pfizer's the hot people one yeah and i guess if you get johnson and johnson or astrazeneca you might as well be a leper yeah anyway so <laughs> so this article it's talking about i don't know what were your thoughts on this article first of all i mean the, the gist of it is is that there is this middle ground between, you know, being happy and then I think I think a lot of people now that COVID is hopefully in the U.S. Um, on the point of 
being relegated to the past. They're still not totally gung-ho on life. And they're wondering why this is. And this article says, it's because you're languishing. You're not quite I'm depressed. Not langu- yeah, I, I disagree with the article. I actually don't think that it, like... It even addresses that there's like a middle ground, but I wouldn't even call myself a middle ground person in this. Like if, if it's just between living and languishing, I would just say that I'm like, I don't know, I'm just embracing my new normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I like it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah when I yeah. got the first dose of the vaccine on Friday, it was my first time being in a car and leaving my neighborhood since March of last year. Like I had not left for more than a year and- I don't miss being around people at all. I don't miss being in public. I got my vaccine. I waited the mandatory 15 minutes and I just couldn't wait to get back home. Mm-hmm. So even though everything is reopening, I I still miss the early days of quarantine. Like I thought that was the best. TikTok and like Twitter were so much fun back in those <laughs> like you remember that when it was like a two week vacation for everybody? Um yeah yeah that was uh and then it became like the mask controversy which just never ended mm-hmm. yeah i mean i love my new normal though like i don't want to go back to the old normal and i don't want to go back i don't want to participate in a reopening like a, the roaring 20s or whatever they want to call it i don't know I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping better i'm eating better i'm spending more time in nature my whole family we all spend time together yeah. I'm getting way more exercise and like creatively, this is one of my most productive years. I might have said no to a lot of speaking gigs and I'm not blogging very much, but like, you know, this podcast was born out of mm. the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I haven't blogged in a few weeks, but I've been working on a screenplay. So that's oh, what yeah. I have I've been spending my my mornings. Mm-hmm. And like I've watched more movies and read more books than any other year in my whole life. So I've cut so much bullshit from my life and I just focus on all the things that matter. I can't think of any other time in my life that I've had this kind of freedom. Yeah. Uh, there's an article we'll discuss later in this episode from The Atlantic that discusses the incoming war between introverts and extroverts. The article itself is not very interesting because they just interview a couple of their staff writers, but that whole, they couldn't think of anybody else. <laughs> that whole topic is is very interesting. So we'll get to that later. But I, at first, I, I want to go through this article just a little bit. Just I, Okay, so he, here's a line that, that stuck out to me. In the article, it says, Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as, you're, as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. And th- that's the main thrust of this article, that weirdly... People uh, feel aimless in their lives. And I'm thinking, isn't this how most people feel? This just seems like... No, this, cater- is, this is freedom. <laughs> uh, but this article seems like it's catering to this whole very elite class of people who since high school were told they were going to make a huge difference with their lives. And and they're like slowly realizing uh, perhaps now that... They're you not that Chris special. joke between jobs and careers. Um. And yeah. I think these are people who always thought they had careers, but more and more people are finding out they have jobs. And I think people like you and me, and, and I think pretty much everyone in Plan A and our extended circle, embrace it. Not even jobs, like fucking right, adult right. daycare. We embrace that because... Even school has been proven to just yeah. be custodial more and than I anything else. And I think there else. are people who embrace that because it frees uh, us to do other things. And there are people who I think this article is targeted at that is very crippling because their sense of drive and purpose uh is now falling apart and yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and, 
These are the people we hated in high school and college anyway that are right. complaining about this. And then this. Uh, here's another sentence. Psychologists find out one of the best strategies for managing emotions is to name them. And th- this seems kind of like an exercise in narcissism, narcissism in which what you're feeling is actually very normal and shared by a lot of people, maybe not in, in your very small elite circle, but I'm guessing that for the vast majority of people, um, life in general is not some constant march towards some life goal but it's you know it's pleasurable they they have to surrounded by loved ones they might enjoy their jobs and all but they don't particularly feel like a higher calling of making some huge difference in the world yeah i think some of us really like this new normal of just like time for pleasurable yeah and, and then naming i don't know there, there could be it's kind of like an emotional hypochondria or psychological hypochondria where <laughs> you name things that are actually very common, and then now you, you start thinking that you need drugs for that, or you need therapists. Turns out this guy, uh, he's some like TED Talk. Uh, he's a host of a TED podcast, Work Life, and he's a organizational psychologist at Wharton. So, who listens to these? I guess there's an audience for everything. Yeah. I mean, so when I found that out, he so. he does kind of sound like he's he's selling something which is that this totally normal feeling of feeling a little adrift in a very shifting world is something that's a cause for alarm as opposed to uh, uh an insulated crowd now feeling more like normal people but um <laughs> yeah so those, those are my thoughts on this uh, so okay so let's move on to this other uh, Atlantic article that I was just talking about the common conflict between introverts and extroverts and you talk about how and super you, introvert. you don't you actually aren't looking forward to things opening up uh, uh, talk more about that well I mean I don't care if they open up or not I mean it's more just like I'm not going to participate in it you know I don't want to I don't want to go out and like be in crowded places anymore yeah, the- not just because of like health reasons, but just because I, you know, I'm so used to having so much space around me and mm-hmm. privacy. Yeah. I don't ever want to go out again without like a mask. <laughs> yeah, I was at a I was at a picnic with some friends yesterday afternoon, and uh, the one person, uh, one of our mutual friends, wasn't there, and uh, one of his good friends remarked, "Oh, you know, so and so is like such an introvert." And, uh, you know, he's gotten too used to not having to go out to things. And then we had like a brief back and forth about. Too used to it? You mean just like enjoying life now that you don't have to do all the things that you don't feel like doing ever? And then we had a short discussion about sometimes if you are deprived of something that even you don't particularly enjoy, it makes you kind of want to do it more. It's like maybe if you didn't like big crowds, but after a year of not being in a crowd at all, you might be thinking, hey for a change of pace, I kind of missed that. Um, I think I'm kind of in that crowd where I don't particularly enjoy noisy places, but I'm down. You want to know yeah, that it's I'm an down option? Now that I was so deprived of it, I'm down to kind of compensate for that uh, because I've had plenty of fill of, of being more isolated, which I also enjoyed. But Coachella's canceled. Oh, but I, I would not go to Coachella uh, at, for any reason, even if it were free. Well, maybe if it were free, I would go and all the accommodations. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I kind of want to go to like a concert again, you know, things like that. And, and, you know, I think the summer will be very interesting. I think everyone should become kind of like anthropologists and just see how people are behaving, if there's any, you know, market 
increase in exuberance. Um, a few days, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the subway and this was like a Friday or Saturday night. And there were just like strangers on the subway just talking to each other across, you know, they're, they're sitting on opposite sides and nobody talks on the New York City subway, even to their friends. And I thought maybe these people were expressing their... <laughs> Everyone stares yeah, at their I thought maybe phones. these were people... <laughs> kind of doing something abnormal to express their joy of you know getting vaccinated mm-hmm. and getting back to it and i wonder if we're gonna see for instance i wonder if we're gonna see uh in terms of dating i'm interested in if people are gonna try uh i mean picking up is, has turned into a dirty word but you know the 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 traditional uh act of meeting a stranger in a in like a bar and then you know flirting and and you know getting their number and all that that was that was like dying with like every every day you know in the last few years because of dating apps and stuff i wonder if this summer what are we gonna have like another baby (laughs) boom i wonder if at least for summer people are gonna be yeah let's do that again and maybe people are gonna be like oh yeah i i now remember why we stopped doing that but you know in absence (laughs) our our memories got foggy we got rose rose tinted glasses so it'll be interesting i'm I'm gonna keep an eye out just to see how people uh, act I think it has a lot to do with age too. Like I realize that not that much time has passed, but I feel like internally I have I went into quarantine a, mm-hmm. more than a year ago and I was still oh, in my yeah. 30s and now I'm like mm-hmm. now I'm 40. And yes, I, my priorities are so different now where it's like I guess if I was like still if I was still like not married and and like younger yeah i probably would feel a little bit of like fomo like mm-hmm. i want to get back out there and see what's around and now that i'm like old you're not old i'm like <clears throat> older definitely a different mm-hmm. generation yeah. different priorities where it's just like everything i need is here like i built my art i have like a house and a yard and like family it's like everything i everything i want and like mm-hmm. need is here yeah and it won't always be like this because the mm-hmm. kids will get older. Then it's time for mama to party again. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm like 50. Yeah, you, you can, you can uh, <laughs> go, go to Tuscany or something. and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to count because I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like, when will my last child mm-hmm. enter college? And it's like, uh, well, I still have pretty young kids. So um, it looks like we're, we're talking at like 50. 54 is around when when my last child will be mm-hmm. in college. About like 14 mm-hmm. years left. I mean, 54 is not that. I I, I think we... Who's 54? Who's fame? Pally Berry's oh, yeah, 54. Yeah. Isn't, no, Jennifer Lopez is not 54, right? I think she's... No, but she is 51. What? Wow, really? She's 51. She did um, Hustlers when she was like 49 or 50. Wow. Or at least 49 going on 50. I know, she's hot. Yeah. She's still hot. Oh, yeah. Like, Remember we were talking about Mariah Carey in the last episode? How old is Mariah? Mariah? I think around there. Okay, I'm going to look her up. And then I, I looked up clips of her dissing Nicki Minaj. And oh, did you spend like a whole <laughs> night doing that? Because there's a ton of yeah, them. Uh, okay, so she is 51. She's up there. Yeah, because I mean, Vision of Love came out and I was in like fourth yeah, grade. Yeah, and she, I, I know she's, you know, had like, some plastic surgery done or maybe a, a lot of it but still she doesn't look unnatural at least from american idol i don't 
think she got that much done on her face, like J-Lo. I, like, I don't think that J-Lo got that much done to her face. I think it's more like they both definitely got boob jobs. Well, Mariah definitely yeah, maybe got Maybe lipo or, or stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. face-wise, they still look like themselves. They, they don't look... Yeah, they didn't get... Yeah, they didn't like... Yeah, they didn't really do too much to reshape their whole faces. They look good. Apparently, Jennifer Lopez is kind of back with Ben Affleck. Bennifer's back. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is like, we should add this to like the anthropological study of like, who's going to come out of quarantine and like get back together? Like (laughs) their ex from 20 years ago (laughs) to relive the good old days. Just get back together with your ex from before. Man, yeah. Like not even 20 years ago, because most people like aren't that old, but like. I don't know, like, even, like, your ex from, like, five years ago. Like, who's going to start getting back together again? Doesn't, like, Ben Affleck they're have... they're just, like, desperate for pre-pandemic times. Yeah, wasn't Ben Affleck dating... Oh, yeah, the 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 woman from... Um... Knives Out, Ana de Armas. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know her as the woman from Blade Runner. But wasn't he oh, with yeah, her? Like, I guess things didn't work out or something. Um... They broke up. They broke up a few months ago, maybe a few weeks ago, even. Mm. It was like around when the um, the Snyder cut of Justice League came out. Oh, it was around that time. They didn't they break up, up because of that, did they? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. It was a shitty movie, but still, <laughs> like it's not. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's. I wonder if this is just more. Does anyone really care? I mean, why? Are there, I mean, this is not the only article that's been written by. I remember, like a few weeks ago, New York Times wrote this i think it was the new york times wrote about this piece it was like once the pandemic ends cut all the you know pointless relationships out of your life uh you know just focus like uh, i think it was something called like shouldn't they have been done that like <laughs> didn't everyone do that like months and months ago yeah it was something like uh, like your social circle shrunk during the pandemic and and that was a good thing it's like non-existent now um which is like okay but why do you need to write entire pe- it feels very passive aggressive in that they are trying to let their yeah. I was about to ask that. Like, what is the od- who's the audience? Like, what's the purpose of all this? No, that's is exactly just, my like, point. They don't have anything to report on because Trump's not here anymore. Yeah, like, what is could, it? I think that's a strong part of it. But it's also okay. Um, you you have friends whom you didn't particularly want to talk to. Oh yeah, and, and this article uh, specifically uh, came up with an example like uh, the, the dad of your child's friend on the soccer team. Like, you don't need to talk to him anymore. I'm mean, like, what did are you, you ever talking talk about? To him to begin with? And if you did, and you and you don't want to, just stop. You don't have to write a whole article about this. I don't know why you're so mad that you have to declare I am ending things with you with somebody who doesn't even matter that much. And I don't know. Maybe these people are just so fake that they, they do put a lot of time into these pointless relationships that everyone hates these are the people that go to like elite private schools uh, elite private like kindergartens and like elementary schools and they they do it so that they can network with the other rich parents at the school Mm, not because it actually benefits their kids i think that this is this is the group that they're talking about like you know Mm -hmm. they put their kids on some soccer team with a bunch of other rich kids and like you mingle with the parents yeah maybe it's a fantasy of of uh, them thinking that people care whether they extend their acquaintanceship or not when most people don't because <laughs> it'll just be like yeah, as little as you think of that soccer dad that soccer dad probably thinks even less of you so it's really he no big deal he doesn't think of you at all yeah it's no big deal just don't talk to them <laughs> he um, doesn't notice that you stop talking to him believe yeah. me like that reverse psychology doesn't work if someone doesn't care 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, these, these articles seem aimed at a very like well-off, well-educated. I want to be generous and say well-meaning, but directionless people who are very, who probably have a lot of ability, at least in terms of what this uh, you know professional class uh, demands of, but they don't. They do very poorly when left to their own devices. So if they don't have a a boss, like an inspirational boss telling them what to do, or or, or friends to keep up with. Um, when left to their own devices, they can't even enjoy themselves. And it's like, yeah, as you said, um, like these people are not the ones toiling in the streets. Uh, you know, no. who had to like pick up recycling and garbage when people were dying. These are people who came out of the pandemic, possibly even better. I'm sure their stock options are doing great, and they had the most comfortable pandemic. Remember that um, that tweet? I forgot who did it. I think it was. That guy, Noah something, he writes for Bloomberg. He said, uh, you know, you guys are so tough. You you weathered a pandemic, a Great Depression, all this. <laughs> and people are just like, yeah. Uh, Who we are just, you talking about? We just sat on our asses, watched Netflix and ordered DoorDash. Hooray for us. It's like, you people. And, and you know, I should include myself in this. We had the most easy ride through this pandemic. And yeah, we did. And yeah. we're complaining about it in the New York Times. Oh, we're languishing. It, j- it just seems so ridiculous. We collected and stimulus checks. Yeah. And, Mine still hasn't um, come, actually. I, I got to Oh, we, which reminds ooh. me, I should, do, I should still do my taxes. Um, we um, got groceries delivered to us. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, should we talk about that Instacart tweet? That What is that? <laughs> so, okay, there's a link to it in our show notes this week. But I, I, like, I clicked on it and I'm not, I don't think I can follow it. It, okay, so uh, for people, uh, let's see if it's been deleted or not. What like, happened with Instacart that she's referring to? Okay, so all right, so like, okay. I, I, she's obviously angry. Yeah, so read, she read the tweet. The tweet says, "Men must be banned from being Instacart shoppers. This is getting out of hand now." This confused me at first because by Instacart shopper, I thought she was talking about consumer. So if she was saying men should stop buying from Instacart. I'm like that doesn't really make sense. And if you follow um the the replies and people commiserating with her what she was saying is an instacart shopper is someone who does the shopping for you via instacart and i've never used it but from what they say it seems like you don't order from a specific store you put items that you want and the shoppers are supposed to get those items and bring them to you so it's not like you put in an order at h mart and they bring you all the things they ordered i mean that's the only way this tweet makes sense and then she was making this tweet about how whenever she has a male employee of Instacart who does that shopping for her, she, he always puts in bad items or neglects items. Oh, things wait like a that. minute. So it's the reverse. She's like, <clears throat> she's literally complaining about the help. Yeah, exactly. That is so un-PC. And, she, and that's why people jumped on uh, it. Well, okay. like a lot of people commiserated with her. And I do think this... Oh, that sounds pretty shitty to co- to complain about something like that. And, and this is, I think, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, but it raised... The reason I... Uh, and and th- we actually had this in the, in the Planet Discord. Uh, I had a, a bit of a disagreement with somebody. But And I saw a point, which was that there is an underlying grievance here, which is legit, which is that men are not socially conditioned to be good shoppers overall. I can agree with that. And I think that is legit. And Yeah. But there's also the way this is framed in this issue is that it's a person complaining about the help. 
Instacart employees, I'm guessing, are at the level of kind of like Amazon employees, whom we're all supposed to. In our, de- they would rather be doing something else. Yeah, in our woke, uh, supposedly anti-capitalist, uh, pro-worker stances, we're always supposed to sympathize with the right. you know, the Amazon employee, the Instacart employee, um, you know, whoever is doing these gig jobs, the Uber drivers, and all that. That Yet, makes sense. I mean, this is like that makes this tweet even more shocking. Well, yeah, that, that's what I. That's my main complaint. It's the it's the inconsistency, and I think the the shallow facade of like anti capitalism in that you put these fronts on, but as soon as you want to have these privileged, you know, eating grapes while reclined on your you know, lounge <laughs> chair type of thing Someone about the help. Someone fans you with like grape. <laughs> yeah, and th- now you're complaining about the help, and then uh, so it's like, well, then at least be consistent in that you know you're you're not really anti-capitalist or whatever it, it's it's a thing we, we all say because it's it's kind of cool or whatever but it's trendy yeah yeah and i, I do think that it, it shows up when 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 something like this comes up and then you you let your your gender-based complaints as legit as they may be override your supposed anti-capitalism is is the you know it's it's a that kind of like teen vogue anti-capitalism which just seems like it's hitching onto a trend and just becomes a you know, it just becomes an image, and in the end, you'll still complain about the help. <laughs> <laughs> just can't find any good help these days. Yeah, so so that was that. I mean, that was like earlier in in Twitter Twitter week. Uh, something else that happened that you were telling me about. Uh, did, like, I didn't even Danzig. Know, I didn't even know who that was. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm not a fan. I just I couldn't help but notice it. Like, um, so Danzig is a I mean, you can, this is debatable, but I, I consider him to be a pop, uh, okay, not pop, like punk musician. He's old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from like the 80s. He does that song Mother that if you ever watched MTV in the 80s and 90s, his video was always there. Mm-hmm. He has a very distinct hairstyle with like that hair just because right, like a, like a piece of hair that just is gelled right down the middle of your forehead. What? Okay, I gotta look, look this up while, while you're just talking. Look, you, I think that you know who it is. It's just like, it's not like a household name for you. So just Yeah, so anyway, what did he say? Yeah, so he was talking about how um, punkers, uh, punk rock musicians like himself and like the Misfits, um, they would not have even been allowed to exist if cancel culture existed back then. And so like, you know, I don't like dancing. I think his music sucks. Um, I'm not sure how punk misfits really are, you know, because I didn't, it's not the genre of music that I'm super familiar with, but I do think that like, he has a point. It's true. Like, I don't think that punk would have existed if, uh, if cancel culture existed back then. Okay. So yeah, let's, let's talk about what he said then. Um, it's probably true. I'm not the biggest fan of punk in, not in the sense that I don't know about, not that I don't like it, but I know they've, they do a lot of questionable shit which is the whole point of punk music and would that fly in in this day and age when even you know even even rappers are have been so uh kind of like neutered even rap has become very tame it's it's all just a bunch of you know like teens on like soundcloud and tiktok with their one hit wonders all that kind of stuff so yeah so I, i think i don't think we've actually discussed what we think about cancel culture on this part we often reference it we often say we're annoyed by it but like like our specific issues with it um 
No, I think that we have. I mean, we often talk about like our specific in- issues. I guess that the inconsistency. Yeah. And how it only benefits certain people of a certain group. Yeah, and I think that doesn't a- benefit everybody or society as a whole. Yeah, which is why I think the name itself is just tiring because it's so broad. Because any, I mean, just cancel culture in general could theoretically apply to everybody, but the way people use it, it doesn't apply to everyone. When, um, when say like a a, a progressive person, um, goes after like a James O'Keefe and and whatever, we don't call that cancel culture, even though. By the same principles, it is cancel culture. So, what do we really mean by cancel culture? I think that's mm-hmm. what people need to get more specific with. And what we really mean by cancel culture is marginalized groups or uh, like women, minorities, LGBTQ. They should have the power to either harm or even outright end the the careers and livelihoods or reputations of people who even just annoy them. That's what we mean by cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And so if you are like a right winger and you say, I'm against cancel culture, you're also posing yourself as like some free speech advocate when in reality, you've probably been canceling people all your lives in your own way. And I think that's what the the current cancel culture people who all tend to be like social progressives, I think that's what they're getting oh, they, at. They, they pose as social progressives <laughs> yeah we'll get to that as well but i'm sure which is another reason why we have such a problem with cancel culture yeah i'm sure uh one argument would be hey uh if you were say gay in the military you know before i don't know well, whenever they ended that rule uh you would be canceled out of your career so this is if in effectively revenge for that and then let's be honest about it because if it is about settling scores and getting even you should be upfront about that uh, because i think it makes it more clear that the solution to all this is i agree sometimes you just got to be forced with force you cannot plead to people's conscience if you've been canceled all your life for being gay a, you know a woman minority whatever the only way to really have any standing to change that is to have an equivalent strike back capability um, and once you have that, now you can start negotiating what the end should be. And I think the end is everyone disarms. It was wrong to cancel gay people from the military and other equivalent. Uh, it was wrong to, you know, cancel women for com- complaining about, uh, sexual harassment and all that. But now it's also wrong to simply, you know, cancel someone for not having the right pronouns. Uh, you know, even though they have nothing against, uh, you know, LGBTQ, constantly making these demands which are always ever creeping right to more and more to do this to do that to bend uh even lower below this limbo stick because hey i tell you to and i just get a kick out of uh seeing you do what i say for once uh that's really not sustainable it's it's just pure uh, tit for tat it's gonna get worse and worse so the main solution is to say hey we now have this power we're gonna use it uh unless you uh you know take it down a notch and we'll disarm because you know this is it's like mutually assured destruction it's that sense in the in the social realm but until we get clear of that um until we become clear about that we're just gonna just keep talking about this nebulous cancel culture and nobody's really gonna say what they mean so that's what annoys me it's like people say what you mean so that we can actually work towards a solution instead of this you know constant petty tit-for-tat shit 
If you're anti-cancel culture, you are automatically um, identified as like right-wing leaning, right? Or right-wing. Yeah, and uh, and or even alt-right, you know. Yeah, and and that term has become so meaningless now because so many people have been called that um, because as soon as you disagree with whoever is in charge of of the whole uh, cancel culture establishment, and as you just previously said, one of the reasons we're also against that is the blatant double standards, um, even among social progressives, even among women, among minorities, among LGBTQ, you can still not belong to the inner inner circle, in which case um, you will not you will not be afforded protection if you mm-hmm. happen to go out of line. It also exposes that as just Yeah, the Aquafinas, the Andrew Yangs. Yeah, in terms of Asian Americans, you know, who is who is not protected under uh, things like that um, we've talked about in previous episodes. So, you know, w- once you see things uh, such as those instances, you're just like, you know, this is obviously just power grabbing, um, uh, uh, you know, settling scores. And I, I think that's another problem with... And, well, and we've also talked about where this these cancellations exist. They always exist in like media. So like music, uh, publishing. Journalism. Like we're going to talk, yeah. yeah, journalism, movies. It's always though it never happens among like I don't know like postal workers or like <laughs> yeah so it's it's um it's it's like the elite precariat if, if we're going to use uh, pretentious terms who are mm-hmm. using whatever means necessary to get a competitive edge on on their rivals enemies professional um, competition. And, and I think that's why it gets so abused in these industries, whereas we know there are other industries where it's much far worse, but people there, um, either there's like more jobs to go around or people just have bigger things to worry about than what somebody said on Twitter 12 years ago uh, and things like that. So, Yeah, you would never see this happening at like an Amazon warehouse, you know? Yeah, we, I don't even want to know about like the abuses that go on there. Instead, it's like some obscure uh, NPR podcast and the producer <laughs> is complaining that another producer said something at a Christmas party five years ago. And it's just like, what the hell, you know, and, you know, take take it, um, ha- you know, hash it up amongst yourselves or, or something. Yeah, like it that. happens in movie studios. And now like this week we saw it happening like internally at one of the, how many publishing houses are even left there used to be so many of them what is it like five now oh yeah yeah oh uh, you're talking about the simon uh, and schuster um who, who did the, they cancel this time um so they canceled josh hawley's book a while ago and mm-hmm. now well they haven't canceled anyone yet but there's like internal strife going on at simon and schuster because they just granted book deals to kellyanne conway and mike pence mm-hmm I know there's a controversy going around because of this guy Blake Bailey who uh, wrote uh, an autobiography, not autobiography, a biography of Philip Roth. But this Bailey guy turns out to have been Philip Roth. Who is that? Yeah. Oh, uh, one of the great American writers. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, he wrote uh, like American Pastoral, Goodbye Columbus, um, among other things. Uh, Chris reads more than me. Oh, no, no, Liza, you actually read more than me. But, you know, Philip Roth is also kind of one of those, like, problematic white male writers who has gone out of fashion. Is there so. such thing as, like, an unproblematic white male writer anymore? Uh, Probably, but he's probably not I worth I swear, reading. like, every single... If you're a white guy and you write anything, you're problematic if mm-hmm. you get published. Yeah. Anyway, 
Um, th- this guy Blake Bailey, he really did some pretty heinous stuff. Uh, he was, I think, he used to be like a, a middle school English teacher, and he would start grooming girls when they were like eleven or twelve. So that you know, him yeah, getting canceled, one, I think, yeah. is, I think it raises a very just. But apparently, the book he wrote is amazing, and I think that, <laughs> and and I think this creates. A, a We've big got problem. like a Woody Allen situation here. Yeah, I think I think Good the writing, reason, but like despicable person. Yeah, and some people raise the issue of, well, why can't you just um, let him publish the book and um, just not let him get any proceeds? But I think because a lot of these cancellations are not coming from the mass public. Nobody, the mass public, does not give a shit who Philip Roth is. Not gonna does not it. really care if probably barely even knows who Josh Hawley is, and he's like alive and relevant. Uh, I, but I think the people pushing this are a very small group of people, either within publishing or the people who actually care about publishing. Yeah, we'll, we'll post the article in the show notes too, where it's like it's it's people, it's employees at Simon and Schuster who are signing these petitions of like you can't publish Kellyanne Conway and Mike Pence's books. Yeah, and and with the thing like the the Philip Roth biography, I think is that even if you um, don't let the the author. Um, get any money or even let's say blank his name just be like this was probably for like john doe or something <laughs> i think these are the people who are so invested in publishing and literature and and all that that they think no what i think their fear is that i'll they'll actually like it in fact this work might go down as a, a venerated uh, we, piece of work right we've we've already established like history has established that horrible people make can make some really great art. Right. And I think that's that's actually, in, in their view, the ultimate reward to be respected and valued for your work, even if you don't get any money from it or recognition, although it would be great if you got those. But I, I think they're just loath to have to admire a work by someone they hate. So even if the work is great, if the person is bad, uh, we got to burn the work so that we don't have to suffer <laughs> that a cognitive dissonance anymore of having to like something by someone we hate and and at least with the trump people we know what they what they write will probably be really bad because these people are not really that smart or talented so i'm sure kellyanne conway's book well, don't they will, all the ghost writing industry has got to be like we all know that they're not going to sit down and write a book yeah but even the ghost writers are not that great probably they're probably like hacks who you know the reason they have to ghost write for a kellyanne conway I mean, there, there are reasons for that, right? But I, I think, again, the, the reason for these cancellations is not because people in general have a real uh, you know, vendetta against them. It's, it's that the people in publishing are, in other words, jealous. and they They're don't, jealous, yeah, of course. And they don't want these people rewarded with what they themselves, these uh, cancelers, consider the ultimate prize, which is getting a book published. But I mean, what they're against isn't even ideology or actual politics. They're just against the Republican Party. In the case of like Josh Hawley and Kellyanne Conway, and uh, and uh, Mike Pence, it's. I mean, I would say that in the um, the Philip Roth thing, who are you talking? What's it? Billy? What is his again? A uh, Blake Bailey, I think is his Blake name. Bailey. Yeah, in that case, yeah, the guy's a shitty person. But like, what they're doing here, signing these petitions to get like. They don't want former White House staffers to get book deals, which has been par for the course since, like, I don't know, forever. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's no crime committed except for just being part of the Republican Party, right? I mean, it's no different than what any Democrat does, except that... Yeah, I mean, my issue is that 
um, well, what did you think Josh Hawley was about anyway? Even before he was doing his whole, uh, you know, January 6th Capitol Hill thing. I don't even agree with their canceling Josh Hawley's book. Yeah, but it doesn't like the- mean that I like him. I just like, I just don't think that they should cancel his book. Well, my, my stance is if if you gave him the deal in the first place, why not stick to your guns? I mean, I have no problem if they if he like say, sent him a proposal saying, hello, my name is Senator Josh Hawley and <laughs> I would like to write about so-and-so. Basically him querying them. Queries get rejected all the time for reasons, yeah. Yeah, uh, including political people. reasons. And that's no one has a right to be published. I agree with that. But you gave him a deal in the yeah, first place. Yeah. You gave these uh, White House cronies deals in the first place. What were you expecting? You know, so it's it's like I, I don't have a problem if they have a just, um, you know, even at the point of entry, this thing of like, we're not interested in Kellyanne Conway's story because it, it's probably all going to be lies anyway. So if she if her agent proposes something, they just say no. I don't have a problem with that. But the fact that they accepted it and now they're just backing away because of public pressure, it just shows they have no principles. It's probably why they publish so much garbage anyway, because either by by hook or by crook. Uh, they're letting people get published. So that, that's what I have a problem with. It just I so- think the Simon and Schuster employees are going too far. Honestly, I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like. And I'm, I'm sure there's an they're, imprint they're, they're somewhere, not... a publishing house that will take their stories. Oh, yeah, of course they yeah. will. That, I mean, the, I think that the. Uh... I think that the article points that out where they just say that there's like um, a boom for like. Um, p- smaller publishing houses that specialize in right wing voices. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. I mean, not not particularly the right wing voices, but just more publishing. No, I was going to say, because, like, I can't uh, believe I'm actually like <laughs> agreeing with that and like being like, yeah, let, let go ahead. I mean, I don't understand why only one kind of voice, like the Democrat Party voice, has to be the one that's out there. Yeah, it is also bad when only like four houses or four studios Exist. or four yeah. channels control everything. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, the book started because it was for the masses. Uh, right and it should i think it, i think it, i think that's the problem with especially like literature it's just getting more and more inaccessible when in fact the form it's in but is the writing is getting dumber that is true it is weirdly um yeah it's really you would at least hope that if you're getting more and more exclusive it would be at least uh of a higher quality and intellectual value so that maybe 50 100 years from now things would last but it's the worst of both worlds. It's both elitist and dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like when you when you look back at like very controversial books of their day, like Lolita, for example, it is, um, it's a very taboo subject. But like, when you read over it, you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy can write. Yeah, they're, um, uh, I mean, th- this is so like tangentially related to the Blake Bailey thing, but there there is an ongoing... That's what uh, made me think of Lolita. Yeah, there's an ongoing controversy right now in France over this uh, writer. I think his name is Gabriel Matzneff or Matzneff or whatever. Uh, he's he's like a celebrated novelist who wrote a lot of who just explicitly wrote about his his pedophilia. Like at least Lolita was fiction. This guy is like writing Lolita, <laughs> but it's autobiography, fiction. and he's like boasting <laughs> about it. Anyway, this woman named Vanessa Springora wrote a book called Consent, which is a uh, a memoir about her when she was like 12 or 14 having a relationship i mean you can't even call it a relationship but w- with I this guy i don't understand half the people that get memoirs 
Yeah, and and I recently read it. It's it's a it's a pretty good read. Uh, very easy, and I think it's like a bestseller in France right now. But well, it's one like thing my she least says is genre. That, <laughs> one thing she says is that she loves Lolita because it is unlike this Matt Snuff guy. Um, uh, what's his name? Nabokov doesn't. Yeah, Nabokov, no, the guy who wrote the book. Nabokov doesn't um make Humbert Humbert some kind of glorious figure he, he he's clearly no, he, does, he does manage to make us sympathize with him though right but he is not trying to um he, he's not portrayed as somebody who is to be emulated um and i think some people have a problem with well why are you writing about him in the first place kind of thing but regardless of that um, hell, if we only wrote about good people, just go read the Bible. I, you know, that, don't, don't even do that. The Bible would get canceled. You know how many horrible people are in the Bible? Um, speaking of <laughs> even which, the I, good I should, guys like Abraham and like... <laughs> kill his own son. Um, David didn't David collect a bunch of foreskins from his defeated enemies, King David? Um, horrible people all around. He did uh, commit adultery. <laughs> that too. Um, so yeah, if, if we only wrote about good people, we would not even have the Bible. No Greek mythology, no Roman okay. mythology. We would just have a very whitewashed memoirs by former democratic politicians or something. That would the be Iliad our... would be canceled. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, cancel culture, very, I think very, a much more complicated topic than people give credit. So yeah, for. Danzig is correct. Um, <laughs> most, most lasting works of art. Not necessarily his, but most lasting works of art wouldn't have even existed if cancel culture had always existed the way it does now. Where it's yeah. like you have to be morally perfect. Yeah, it's to like create that, art. That guy who tweeted about those kinds Sonic. of demands are unrealistic and like just stupid. Yeah, uh, like you know, like we talked about on the Plan A live stream, the the guy who tweeted about Sonic saying we had to be subversive but not problematic. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, we know what what you're saying. Again, this is like, like the way cancel culture really means one thing, but it's an overly broad term. Like problematic really means one specific thing, uh, a set of offenses that are deemed uh, unacceptable by the whole like social progress crowd and a very specific type of social progress crowd within the entire social progress movement, to be exact. But they throw around these uh, big words that are, you know, all encompassing, and it just confuses people on the surface to be like, let's let's get specific of what we're talking about so we can actually work towards a solution and my solution i think to the whole cancel culture thing is both sides bring they're bringing their armies to the field and now you're going to look across the battlefield and be like oh shit they got thirty thousand people we got thirty thousand people we both have the same type of weapons um none of us look like it's going to be a big bloody battle no one, it's going to be a stalemate let's start negotiating peace terms and i think that's what we have to do but until we get to actually being more specific, people are just gonna be like, "I'm, I'm for uh, cancel culture because there needs to be consequences." And then somebody say, "I'm against cancel culture because I'm against free, sp- I'm for free speech." And be like, "The other, the other argument is that it doesn't even exist." Obviously, it exists. I mean, it again, it's semantics. Right? Like, there's that whole like, it's not cancel culture; it's accountability. Yeah, it's it's all semantics. It obviously exists. It obviously wreaks havoc on people i mean somebody like uh nathan robinson who is a political writer he used to say you know cancel culture doesn't exist then he says something bad about israel and then he got dropped by the guardian so (laughs) is that where is he now substack well i I, I, probably yeah so (laughs) 
it obviously exists, even for people who say it doesn't exist. Because when it hits them or their friends, it's suddenly going to exist. Suddenly it's bad, right? Yeah. So suddenly it exists, and suddenly it's the wrong. You know, the whole it doesn't exist crowd. Sometimes they say things like, "Well, cancel culture doesn't exist. So and so said this, and they're still alive." Like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they haven't been executed. I guess that means it's just like. Was that the goal? Right. Yeah. So you tweet something out wrong, and you're supposed to die. So let's let's get real here. Let's get honest and let's start talking. Because I think everyone's tired of this. I think everyone realizes that it was something you tweeted when you were like seventeen. Whether it was, uh, you know, regardless of your what political angle it's coming from, is absolutely ridiculous and unsustainable. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my stance on. Would it. you be canceled if you had Twitter like when you were 16, 17 years old? I don't know. I, I Do you definitely would be canceled. I, I definitely would have been canceled if we had like cell phone videos, uh, because <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I've ever really been the type to post controversial things. I I mm-hmm. might write them in an essay. I don't know. But I think you <laughs> possibly, but I mean things like I I went to a Catholic all boys school. You know, like I went to a Catholic all girls. school. You can just imagine what went on in the classrooms. Guess what was the most popular insult to hurl. In class, which even the teachers laughed at, was to call someone <laughs> queer. If someone said, "Well, listen uh, to rap music," that was when we were in high school. Yeah. So if somebody had um had like cell phone videos of our class, I don't think I ever said it, but I definitely laughed along, and I definitely didn't speak up against it. And, and you know, if if I ever it was became... no different from a Catholic all girls school. Oh yeah. What 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 were your favorite guys is? Uh, what were your guys usually it's like if if the girls are just talking shit to each other and it's like your boyfriend goes to this you know insert name of another catholic mm-hmm. all-boys school and like there was this one catholic all-boys school that um at sports games people would literally chant like you're all faggots <laughs> like just at the Jesus. other team, just like the whole school oh, would man. just scream that, uh-huh. like during like foul shots and everything. Oh wow! And it's like there's like nuns and priests that are just standing there, yeah. and like parents, and no one did anything about it. Nowadays, you could never say that, but mm-hmm. like back then, it was just I don't know, like stuff that just was accepted, mm-hmm. yeah. right or wrong, yeah. just went, you know. Yeah, I can't think of like. I know that there was definitely at an all-girls school tons of body shaming. Oh, yeah. I'm sure about that. I... Just tons of it. Like, the worst thing that you could call another girl is like, you know, fuck you, you fat bitch. Yeah, or, or like a, f- a fat lesbian. I'm sure that's probably the... Yeah, you fat dyke. Yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Or a slut. There was a slut shaming and there was body shaming. And that's how, that's how girls... That's how girls fight each other. Yeah. I don't think it's any different now. There's probably just... It's just... Just insert different things, you know. Well, like, now it's she's the complete, anti-black. Yeah, no, now, you know? now, now <laughs> it's the complete opposite. It's the same social bullying, right, 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 right. and striving for social it's, status. It's, but it's on political. It's all about like who is the least politically in, who is the least politically correct, and that's who you shame for that. Gone with the body shaming. Gone with the the um, the gay shaming. Gone with the slut shaming. Now it's all, it's throw like SJW buzzwords at people and try to ruin their lives that way. Yeah, there was a recent article that says something like one in 16 girls identify as queer and stuff. And it was <laughs> no, just... they well, don't. I went to an all-girls school. They don't. Yeah, and it's just like, this is not new. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and that, that's the thing. I mean, uh, we should wrap up soon. It's like over an hour. But, you know, guys are 
there are social incentives to guys to suppress their gayness. And for girls, there's a social incentive to um, play up their lesbianness. <laughs> yeah, we and, talked about this on the phone earlier this week. It's like every girl that I knew that was in high school and college that claimed to be bisexual, they're all straight They're now. super straight. And like all the guys who claim to be bi are like probably super gay because- They're yeah. super gay. They're full on gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because girls those, want attention and guys are trying to be masculine. Yeah. Like there's just- and, and the way for guys to get attention is to not even be 1% gay- uh, and and for a way to girls to get attention is is to play up that Half supposed gay. <laughs> gayness uh, up to as sometimes gay yeah but it's like a unicorn yeah but I guess the progress might be whereas in the past it was like a very like Katy Perry esque Madonna esque performance for guys maybe today's does it queers- come out of raunch culture. Is that where it started? Um, I mean, I'm sure it came out like long before that. Uh, you could probably- like girls going to like strip clubs. Not male strip clubs, but like girls going to girl strip clubs. You could probably look into the writings of, of like a Lord Byron. He probably like fantasize about lesbians, <laughs> and it's, I'm sure it goes way back. Even like the Sumerian. Go, go go see the the you know the wall uh, the reliefs of of the Sumerians. They probably have some shit like that. But um, I was gonna say, oh, well, maybe today's queerness is less about impressing guys and more about impressing other girls. You know, it's like it's it's not so so porny. I, I'm I'm totally just like uh, theorizing here, but that they so they might think it's more pro- progressive because it, it, they're not you know trying to perform sexually for guys, but they are still trying to one up other social rival social groups by see, be seeing holier than thou. So yeah. Anyway, uh, we are approaching the end. Uh, any, any last thoughts uh, related to any of these topics that you want to get off your chest? No, I, um, play the uh, play the NSYNC song again. <laughs> All right, we'll close <laughs> off this episode with uh, more NSYNC, uh, which I, that album was very good. Like most of it, it sucks, the album, but the hit songs are timeless. Bye, bye, bye. It's going to be me. Are you more this, of an NSYNC person you. than Backstreet Boys? No, no, the Backstreet Boys were always more were better musically they just have like more songs that you can still listen to without being totally embarrassed is anyone still famous from backstreet boys well for the wrong reasons because nick carter got accused of rape uh in like 2018 uh when me too was getting started but yeah not and then what is it um aren't like some of the guys supposed to be like trump voters i don't know but yeah like individually that's the thing weird thing about nsync and backstreet boys i don't understand this like surprising that like people are like trump voters it's like aren't we divided by as a country like 50 50 yeah. pretty much plus those guys are like kind of old now uh you would expect some but they were yeah they're older like, than straight they're, white they're men older than us demo, just by statistically speaking uh of that age or generation race etc uh will be trump voters uh but last thing i want to say um the weird thing about backstreet boys and nsync is that except for like like one or two guys most of the guys weren't that attractive they just seemed very normal looking guys i remember that i'm trying to think i can i I really can only think of justin timberlake like did anyone think joey from nsync was hot like who's he the the, kind of like fat guy he was in my big fat greek wedding oh that one Uh, no i don't think so or chris chris from uh nsync the the guy with the dread oh he would get canceled because he he had dreadlocks and shit (laughs) um yeah, but uh, Backstreet Boys, they even even in their heyday, they all kind of just look like who was like the lead men. guy. So like, if Timberlake was the lead guy of Insync, who's like the lead guy of Backstreet? Uh, well, the the equivalent of Justin Timberlake on uh, Backstreet Boys was Nick, right? Because Nick was the face of the group. He was uh, he was the the best looking guy, but he wasn't the best singer. Like Justin cannot, Timberlake was not the best singer. I cannot picture him to save my life. Oh, he's very blonde. 
That's all of them to me. Uh, yeah, Brian was the like the lead singer. He was the best singer in Backstreet, but I don't know why I know I this so much. Know but... <laughs> yeah, seriously, why? Why do you? I know uh... too much about ni- late '90s, early 2000s teen pop. It's a really bad era of music. Really good era for movies, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, that music, yeah, that, but I, I think it is a special time for music. Let's let's say that it has not. I don't think it could ever be replicated. I don't think anyone's gonna tolerate God. American teen pop. I think that's why K-pop is so popular. I don't know. I feel like it's still going on now. I feel like what we hear now is like a continuation of that horrible '90s, 2000s teen pop. Uh, perhaps, but I find it, it now most is a different... music today like unlistenable. Yeah, but I think it was a different appearance like the whole like boy band thing i don't that think that also might be just my i think it's basically been outsourced to asia because I, I think i think the oh, audiences need it yeah. but for whatever reason we cannot tolerate among americans anymore so we gotta outsource it and get it from abroad yeah some of those black pink songs are pretty catchy mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have a better look mm-hmm Okay. All right. Uh, good episode. Uh, uh, Philip will be uh, de-exiled uh, next week and brought back. Uh, and so it was a pleasure. He'll watch the movie that we make him watch. <laughs> uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you one-on-one, Liza. And we'll be back next week. And, re- and remember to catch Liza on Self-Evident in the, in the upcoming weeks. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.